host, Harla Nivens. Hello, everyone. My name is Carla Nivens. I am your host for the Every Heart, Every Woman show. We're so glad that you tuned in today. Our show is a partner of Love Ministries. Love Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Go to loveministriesbuilds.org. You can find out all of the great information about Love Ministries. Also, feel free to head to my website, CarlaNivens.com. Well, I'm excited to jump into our show for today. We are welcoming for the first time Jennifer Monet Howley. Jennifer has been painting and drawing since the age of five. Her talent was recognized at an early age through her artwork collected by her parents and grandparents. In high school, she studied fashion design and commercial art. Upon entering college, she focused on architectural design, but her love for art prevailed. She graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in art and performance from the University of Texas at Dallas. Jennifer works on various mediums, colored pencils, pastels, gouache, acrylic, watercolors, and collage. Jennifer also designs and paints wearable art. I've seen some of her pieces. They're absolutely fantastic. So hopefully she'll talk to us about those wearable art items today. In addition to being an artist, she is a curator as well. While employed as curator at Dallas's African American Museum at Fair Park, Jennifer curated several groundbreaking art exhibitions. Overall, Jennifer is an artist whose versatility and skills empower her to create distinctive works and concepts that give her a unique style and voice of their own. Also today, Jennifer is going to be talking to us about the unveiling of her art piece, uh, The Humanization, and it is um, at Twin Falls Park at 6300 South Polk Street in Dallas, Texas. Jennifer, first of all, welcome to the Every Heart, Every Woman show. We're so glad that you had the opportunity and the time to join us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, you and I met, you know, kind of through our work. You were working at uh, as the curator at the Dallas uh, African, um, the African American Museum of Dallas, and I was bringing, uh, looking to bring a group from Highland Park on a cultural journey. And um, you and I met, and you were so nice and so gracious. We continued our relationship, and um, you've come to Highland Park to speak. For, um, for some events. And number one, I love your spirit. Um, I love what you stand for. Um, your, your work has a voice, a voice that's needed. And, um, and you have a unique eye. Um, and and y'all, she's also a fabulous shopper because she can shop somewhere and pay just a couple of dollars and then make it, you know, runway fashion by the time, by the time. <laughs> By the time you wear it. And um, you also have, I also want to tell everyone that you have um, pieces available at Daisha uh, uh, Art Gallery and Daisha Board Gallery. And um, people can check out your, your work there. Um, but I, I guess I want to start and talk to you about, um, you know, the piece that you have 
at Twin Falls Park called The Humanization. It is um, a piece that is dedicated to um, the, the memory of Othello Beck Jr. And so I wanted to know if you could share with us about Othello Beck Jr. because um, you told me that he was, that you knew him personally. Um, and how did he inspire your creation that commemorates his life? Well, um, I met Othello back in the early to mid nineties. Um, I remember Othello as a very tall, very quiet, but very humble, gentle, sweet man. I mean, just very nice, very, very nice. He was all about his family, all about his art. Um, and when I was approached to do this particular project, I wanted to make sure that I made Arthur proud, along with his wife, May, um, who he left behind. I wanted to make sure I did, did him justice and made him proud and made her proud. And I spoke with her the other day and she said that I did that. <laughs> so, yeah, because in his artwork, Othello strived to humanize African-Americans in his artwork because, as we know, um, throughout the years, African-Americans have not been painted in the most positive light um, by some. And Othello thrived to do that. And he definitely accomplished that by painting African-Americans in everyday scenes, um, fathers reading to their children, mothers um, doing their daughter's hair, um, just family scenes, religious scenes, educational scenes, um, scenes of people just reflecting, just minding their own business and just, just being. <laughs> and I wanted to convey that in the sculpture piece that I created. So I used um, a local artist, um, Riley Holloway, who is a young, thriving artist with a wife and two children, now three because his wife just had a baby, wow. um, that re also reflected Arthello's family, who was once a young, thriving artist with a wife and children. So I wanted to put that in the artwork with them just being, um, with Kelsey doing her daughter's hair, the little girl doing her doll's hair it, while playing dress up in a tutu. Mm -hmm. And while Riley is reading a book to his son, who is also just being a little boy and just being a little rambunctious and playing with a beach ball while with them sitting back to back on, you know, next to a tree. So I wanted to just paint African-Americans, especially African-American families in a positive light because there's this narrative out there that black fathers are absent in the families. And that is not true. That's definitely not my narrative. I've always, my, my father has always been there. Just like my husband is there for, is here with our kids and our kids are now grown. So uh, just wanted to put a different narrative out there, which is already out there, but for some reason, some people just don't want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, number one, um, con congratulations for um, for bringing this to life. And and also, I, I'm sure it means the world to have May um, say, you know what, you got it. Like, yeah. you, 
you, you did that. And, and I'm, I'm sure that feels amazing. It does. Also, congratulations for um, bringing this message also um, to life and bringing it to um, to the world so that everyone can view it and understand it and take it in and, and walk away with a good message. Um, I I was able to visit the museum when you when you curated um, Othello Beck Jr.'s his his um, pieces and I mean it what what I thought was this reminds me of my upbringing. I mean this is it it really was everyday life. It was you know just depicted a black family doing everyday things. Um, one of the things that is natural in um, in our culture for most black families is on, on Saturday, you know, you have to get ready for Sunday and you have to, you know, get your hair done and get your hair pressed. And I still have natural hair, so I still have to press my hair. But, um, you know, you have to get that high comb and you got to get your hair pressed and everybody's doing it. All the ladies get together and we all do it together and we make it a family event. And that was depicted here. And that's something that's kind of maybe kept secret by us. Like we're probably mm -hmm. the only people that know that that it has to happen for us to get ready for Sunday, for us to get ready to go to church and, and to worship um, that it's, you know, it's a whole thing. So um, just things like that, that, that yes. you know, people don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, with that particular piece called braiding session, um, mm -hmm. that was part of my childhood because for a straight year, back when I went into junior high school, I wore my hair in braids and cornrows for a whole year, different styles. And I remember um, my mother braiding my hair and my sister's hair and for it taking hours <laughs> For the intricate designs and all of that and also remember um going to the beauty shop and getting my hair pressed which i despise <laughs> <laughs> i despise the hot comb but um it is part of our beauty regimen so because yes. i'm natural as well but i you know i cut all my hair off to simplify things but yeah it was it was a every saturday <laughs> every saturday yeah. And, and, and that hot comb is hot. Yes. Yeah. That right. hot comb is hot. Head. So. <laughs> <In forehead. laughs> so yes, yes. So I definitely remember that that particular painting really struck a chord with me because it was something that um, most of us experience. We experience getting our hair done, sitting between the legs of our mother or grandmother mm -hmm. on the floor. Um and just being still while while they beautified our hair. <laughs> and they didn't show any mercy. You had to no sit mercy. still. Yeah. It doesn't matter that they comb is hot and it's close to your scalp and all that. Mm -mm. Sit still. Let's get yes. this. <laughs> yes. Better not be tenderheaded. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole exactly. thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I yes. definitely carried over to my daughters because mm -hmm. I did same thing with them. I never pressed their hair, but I did um, twist their hair because they're both natural and they both have locks, um, mm -hmm. waist length locks. But um, it was a whole ritual where I braided and plaited yeah. and twisted their hair on the regular. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had to I had to let my daughter off the hook because she she is one of those that is tender headed and you, you know, trying to <laughs> straighten her hair. She she would literally just break out in real tears, like yeah. really bad. So I kept telling her, I said, you you better be glad you're born now, because then th there was no mercy for that. Like you need no to drop <laughs> those tears. So she does braids as well. So her yeah. hair is still natural, too, and it's gorgeous. Um, yeah. yeah. So take us a little deeper into the the name of the piece, dehumanization. For those who are listening and thinking, I honestly have no idea what that means. Like, why would we need to name anything in 2022 dehumanization? Oh my goodness, this is a very deep question because just for centuries, I would say centuries, because this goes all the way back to when our ancestors were enslaved. I do not want to call them slaves because it's another way of dehumanizing them. So I would say enslaved people. Um, it goes all the way back to that. Um, the way African-Americans have been depicted over the years um, at, you know, buffoonery, um, uneducated stupid, all the things, uh, criminals, um, all of this. And my thing is that you can't make a blanket statement for an entire race of people because it does not encompass everybody. It's a select few, yes, but not all, you know, because I know for myself, that is not my narrative. And it has never been my narrative. So I want to make sure that especially with the climate of things today, um, that this piece was a very positive piece. And also the neighborhood that the sculpture is in, it's the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, is majority African-American. Um, I wanted people to see themselves in this piece um, because I wanted it to be something positive for the community, something that men, women, and children can see themselves in um, and change that narrative because the, na the narrative that's out there is negative and it's not the truth. It's the truth for some, but it's not the truth for all. So I wanted to put a different story out there and for people to do photo ops and say, oh, this looks like my family. You know, I remember getting my hair done like that. I remember my dad reading to me. I remember playing with a beach ball, you know? I remember being that little rambunctious person, you know? And I remember playing with my dolls. So I wanted this family. And I want to also, the other thing, I want to make sure that this family looked black. <laughs> okay. I did yeah. not want any questions on their ethnicity. And mm -hmm. I know that there are some people out there to say, why does race matter? Uh, it does. <laughs> and as much as people want to deny that it doesn't, it does. Because if it did not matter, we would not be in the situation that we're in now, especially with critical race theory and all the things. Because if race did not matter, why is there such a fight about this critical race theory? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> About us learning. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's just speaking the truth, you know, right. any right. rate, what happened? You can't go back and change it. <laughs> right. Right. You do better. Right. right. Things happen. <laughs> yes. um, I, this, this makes me bring this up. I'm just going to bring it up real fast and move on. But um, this week I had the opportunity to go to Tulsa 
Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> we went to, we started our trip at the, um, at the library, looking at uh-huh. the artifacts um, at, at one of the um, universities there, Tulsa University. They allowed us to go back through and read all the reports of what happened at Greenwood and, and, and everything. So we got to read everyone's side. And we walked away from that experience and we spent hours um, in the, the artifacts and at the um, with the artifacts in the museum, in, in the library. We walked away from that thinking, okay, wh- what was this really about? Like it, it wasn't, we didn't know. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to understand how we couldn't sit down and discuss this because after, you know, the, the, I don't know, just this crazy devastation happened mm-hmm. um, of the, the um, neighborhoods of the African-Americans there. Nobody talked about it. They just decided you go to your side on this side of the tracks, you go back to your side on that side of the tracks. And we're literally not going to talk about it. And they are just now saying in order for us to heal, in order for there to be some sort of resolution and some kind of reconciliation in mm-hmm. our town, we are actually going to have to stop acting like it didn't happen. Exactly. We're going to have to talk about it. And, and and it comes down to there was just a group of people with brown skin that w- weren't considered whole and full humans and so mm-hmm. they were you know the one side of the town was allowed to completely devastate the other side of the town and then we were like we're just going to shut up about it we're not going to say anything else and we have to get past those types of things like we are going to have to talk about the tough things and i i this is why your piece just means so much that um, we have to have these conversations. I think Christians should be in the forefront of these conversations. I I really feel like the Lord has um, saved us and and uh, uniquely put us here in this this time, particularly to have tough conversations, but have it in a way that brings people together. And we walk away with deeper understanding and knowing that if we don't talk about these things, then we can't say we love each other and love God. Like we, we've got to do this and we, we've got to do this work now. Absolutely. I, um, I'm trying to remember the professor's name. She's a professor, African-American woman, but she said that she went to a Klan rally Mm-hmm. And people were questioning why she was there. She went mm-hmm. to get some understanding as mm-hmm. to why certain people think the way they think. Yeah. And she asked a question um, where she basically put it back on the on the people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where she asked a question like, why do you feel this way? What have I done to you? And she said this with love. Instead of calling people out, she said, I'm going to call people in. Because it causes people to re- it causes people to reflect, and it puts it back on them to really cause people to think. Now, if you don't if you don't really think about what you're saying, when someone calls you in like that, 
then something is wrong with you. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, you know, if you can't accept that, uh, something's really wrong with you, you know, um, because one thing that I really loved about what she said, there's a way that you can say things to people, because if you call someone out, um, they're going to be combative mm -hmm. automatically because mm -hmm. they're feeling attacked. But mm -hmm. if you call someone in and you're saying something with love and, you know, generally it causes someone to change their tune, you know, and causes them to kind of rethink. Um, and therefore they're not as combative, you know? So that is something that I've been trying to do because I've told my husband, um, that over the years, um, there have been some things that have been said to me that have been completely off-putting. Mm -hmm. And some things, you know, I just let it slide, which I probably shouldn't have, <laughs> you know, because yeah. the things that, you know, still kind of, they, they still bother me. So mm -hmm. I told him, you know, that day is over. You know, now I address things in a moment, um, but I try to do it in a way um, that it's done with love mm -hmm. and just ask the question, why, you know? why do you feel this way? And why did you feel the need to say that to me? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and move on because um, life is too short. Right. <laughs> life right. is too right. short right. to be walking around mad and angry, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to race relations mm -hmm. and, and being discriminated against simply because of the color of your skin. I mean, it, when you really, when you say that out loud, it is ridiculous. It really is. When you really think about it, it's so ridiculous, mm -hmm. you know, and I've always had a hard time just wrapping my head around that because it makes no sense to okay. judge people simply based on the color of their skin. Right. Yeah. How the Lord made them. Yeah. Yeah. How the Lord made us, mm -hmm. you know, and we can't help what we look like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and we are, we are, one thing I must say that we are a resilient race of people. We are a brilliant race of people. We are beautiful, you know, mm -hmm. all the things, you know, yeah. and there are people that are coming around, you know, I, I do feel that. Um, but there are some, you know, they, they have a ways to go, but they mm -hmm. need to get there. <laughs> mm -hmm. We need to get there together. We yeah, we to, and, it, and, it, and it won't happen without us won't. talking and having conversations. Exactly. Those tough conversations have to happen. We can't continue to tiptoe around it. You know, mm -hmm. we have to have the conversations and um, some of them will be heated and then some of it will be ugly, but that's part of the journey. But mm -hmm. we, we all need to get there because we just can't do it by ourselves. Uh, we all have to work with work together to get yeah. this done. Yeah. So let's talk about the logistics of your piece. You know, what were, how long did it take um, to install everything? Um, what were your, the hurdles? And is it a permanent structure in Twin Falls Park? It is a permanent structure. Mm -hmm. um, I use a fabricator um, in California. Unfortunately, it's only a handful of places that do porcelain enamel. Mm -hmm. um, because that's what the sculpture is made out of. It's made out of glass and steel. Mm -hmm. um, and there aren't any places in Texas that do that. So uh, it is a permanent structure with a 
with a very long lifespan. So we'll be there for eons to come. <laughs> and it has, it was a journey. It was a journey. Um, of 2019. Oh. Um, yeah. 2019 when got the project and um, it was installed. There were, there had been many hiccups due to COVID, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, cannot forget COVID. Um, that kind of threw things right. off. <laughs> right. Right. There were supply right. chain issues and all the things, but we finally made it across the finish line. So I'm very excited. Um, very excited for people who will come to see the sculpture. I'm very excited about the conversations that will come from um, experiencing the sculpture um, because it has truly been a journey. Truly. Yeah. Journey. And it's one of those things that should have happened. It's even with the exhibition, it's one of those things that should have happened when Arthella was still living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, give people their flowers for that while they're here. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. right. But it's a blessing that is happening now. And um, it's a blessing that you, you know, you get to be a part of it and you get to be, you know, the, the soul and the human um, that brings this to life. So I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, I want to let everyone know that there is um, a ceremony for the dedication of the public art piece, Dehumanization by Jennifer Monet Cowley, commemorating Arthello Beck Jr. on Saturday, November 19th at 10 a.m. at Twin Falls Park, 6300 South Polk Street in Dallas, Texas. So everyone should um, come out and and support and uh, post on your social media and you know get the word out. Let everyone know that um, everyone in the community can come together and and enjoy this piece and enjoy it for years and years and years to come. Uh, so Jennifer, um, be, again, I want to thank you for your time. But before we close out, tell everyone how they can follow you, um, how they can keep up with all of these wonderful opportunities that are coming your way. The best way to follow me would be on Instagram because I post more on Instagram than Facebook. So because I, since I'm an artist, I like pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. pictures. So um, and Instagram, you know, of course it has dialogue, but it, it's all about the pictures. So mm -hmm. um, it's best to follow me on Instagram to find out everything that I'm into. And it's just my name, Jennifer Monet Cali. I don't have any weird um, alter ego. <laughs> it's just my name. <laughs> and you'll see my bald profile. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so I love it. It's a statement. It's a statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's the best way to follow me and to find out everything that I'm into. Wonderful. Yeah. So now your clothes. I know I'm supposed to be closing out. I said I'm closing out. So the clothes, because I know that you go and you go shopping. Sometimes you even take people with you. I've heard that you take people with you. You go uh -huh. shopping and you'll get something that just costs a couple of dollars and then you will paint it. You'll paint on the fabric. And by the time you wear it, everybody's like, well, wait, where'd you get that from? And, and then you're like, yes, this is actually me. Like I, you know, I put this together and, and you put um, your personality on, on the clothes. So do you sell those as well? Absolutely. So like one of the shirts that I'm wearing, um, I have a line of men's shirts. 
um, that they're men's shirts that I've painted on, but um, I say that they're unisex. <laughs> okay. Mm. So they're men and women that buy them. And I like them oversized because it's a men's shirt. And mm -hmm. they are available at Indigo 1745 and Bishop Arts, which is a Black-owned boutique. Yes, I love Indigo. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. They're available over there, but I have some other things that will be dropping over there soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on all of this success and just continue. Um, I'm enjoying watching it and keeping up with you and, you know, attending your events. And um, I'm so glad again. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us on Every Heart, Every Woman. Well, everyone, um, my name is Carla Nivens. I am your host of the Every Heart, Every Woman show. You, We are a, um, a a, a partner of Love Ministries, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, go to loveministriesbuilds.org. You can get all of the great information about Love Ministries. You can also check me out at carlanivens.com. Everyone, I hope this episode was inspirational for you. Um, follow Jennifer Monet Cowley and uh, come out and celebrate with her on November 19th. Have a great week, everyone. See you back here next week.